0: Welcome to preachingchrist.org, the preaching ministry of Father Patrick Malone, Vicar of Holy Cross Anglican Church in Milwaukee. If you have any questions about the Bible or the Christian life, contact us at patrick at preachingchrist.org. We're making our way through the epistle to the Ephesians. And we are now at chapter 2. And it is uh, very appropriate that we've heard uh, from the psalmist and in our collect and from the Old Testament lesson and the epistle and the gospel, the affirmation of the sufficiency, the purity the accuracy of the Word of God. Because we're about to delve into a doctrine that is many times hard to receive and hard to hear. And I use the analogy of, um, and we do have a doctor here present, the analogy of uh, a, a good doctor is not going to normally diagnose himself. Uh, a good lawyer is not going to represent themselves because many times we can miss vital information uh, that is important to our diagnosis or our legal case. And it just so happened the other day I saw a quote by the first Reformational Archbishop of Canterbury, our uh, our father in the faith, uh, Thomas Cramner. And he said, What the heart loves, the will will seek, and the mind will justify. What the heart loves, the will will seek. And the mind will justify. Now, as we've seen in chapter 1 of the epistle to the Ephesians, remember Ephesus, which is basically on the southern, the middle of the southern coast of what is now Turkey, was a very cosmopolitan port city. A lot of trade went on. And it's hard for us to imagine the decadence of the worship of the various gods that were worshipped by uh, ancients. Uh, it was, the, the worship was bloody. The worship was sexual. The worship was incredibly grotesque. And Paul brings some of these images into the text today. And Paul now is asking and exhorting the community of believers, both Jew and Gentile, there in Ephesus, to no longer live according to the culture of the Gentiles. And this is so applicable for us today. It is so easy for Americans... For Greeks, for Russians, for Dutch people, for Irish people, for Italian people, to equate their national culture with their religious identity. And there are practices and uh, values that a a nationality may have that are not in accord with holy scripture. And so Paul exhorts the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, no longer walk that way. The kingdom of God is not Irish, is not British, is not Russian, is not Italian, is not Greek. The kingdom of God is a unique, distinct culture. And so many times, the agenda of the world creeps into the agenda of the church. And it's so easy for us, because what the heart loves, the will, will uh, the, the will will pursue, and the mind justifies that we will begin to justify things in our culture and will justify them as Christians in our church. So I'm going to read to you uh, a few verses from Ephesians chapter 2, and if you have your Bible, Bibles are important for Christians, and if you have a smartphone, you can easily download a version of the Bible on your smartphone. I'm reading from the English Standard Version Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh according to the desires of the body and, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And the last few weeks we've been walking through chapter 1. And Paul begins with this extraordinary doxology about what Christ has accomplished. The amazing work, that Christ has done for you and me. The inheritance that we have. The gifts that he has bestowed. The love that has been poured upon each and every Christian. And the glory of that is heightened or lessened. Depending on how you see the nature of mankind. If you have, like many people in our culture, maybe all of us in some sense, this sense of, of uh, entitlement, that I deserve certain things. If we have a sense of spiritual entitlement, that I deserve God's love. Then chapter one may not be a big deal to you. Well, of course, I get an inheritance. Look at me. I'm Father Patrick Malone, don't you know? So, what Paul is now going to do in chapter two is be a very accurate doctor, diagnosing man's real problem. And notice where he starts. In chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead, not ill. It's not that you had the spiritual sniffles, or a spiritual broken arm, or spiritual hypertension, or spiritual kidney issues. You were dead. You were dead. Why? Because of trespasses and sins. And this is completely in accord with the breadth and depth of Holy Scripture. From the second chapter of Genesis, God has declared, On the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely get spiritually sick and need some, a few spiritual vitamins. No, that's not what the Bible says. Sin, the sin of our forefather, Adam, our sin causes spiritual death, causes spiritual separation. Our current sin does that. That's why we have the confession of sin right before we have communion, union with Christ, co-union with Christ, co-union with the Father. We confess our sin because sin separates us from God. And those who have not trusted Christ, who have not confessed their sin, who have not repented of their sin, still live in an atmosphere and in a state of separation from God, which the Bible uses the image of spiritual death. Sin causes death, and death is in sin. The scripture calls us dead in our trespasses and sins. This is why the, one of the reasons why we believe in infant baptism. We don't wait for the child to someday make their profession of faith. The church has seen in scripture that God has to intercede on behalf of the child. The child is their passive. And God, through the hands of the priest and the words of Holy Scripture, pours onto the child the water's The cleansing waters, the life-giving waters of life. Man's natural state without the intervention of God is spiritual death. This is why Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, what does he say to the church? It's okay, uh, what I've done is really amazing, but you guys don't have to really do anything anymore. No, he doesn't say that. He gives a command to his disciples to go and to make disciples of all nations, preaching the gospel to every living person. Why? Because every living person who is outside of union with Christ is living in a state of spiritual death. Nicodemus, a very religious man, comes to Jesus in John chapter 3. He says, Jesus, you're amazing. You do these amazing works. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only those things which are from God are good. And by the way, Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born from above. Born from above. But our death isn't a passive death. Look at the scripture with me you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit which now works in the sons of disobedience i mean we are we are saturated with a perfect image of spiritual separation our culture is just fascinated with zombies are they dead Are they alive? Well, they're walking around, and they are consumed with a hunger that will be fulfilled unless you cut their head off. Unless you blow them away in in the chest with a shotgun. And this is the, the very clear image that Holy Scripture uses to describe people who are not united to Christ. And this is why the mission of the church is so vital. Because your friends, your family, your neighbors, who do not know Christ, are separated from God. They're separated from the blessings of God. They're separated from the, from the inheritance of God. And they may be perfectly lovely people, But their lives are consumed with fulfilling the desires and passions of their heart. That's what sin is. Sin is being consumed with fulfilling the desires and passions of your heart and not being consumed with loving God and loving your neighbor. They're dead men walking. They're following the world. They're following the prince of the power of the air. They are called children of disobedience, children of wrath. And the church has gotten away from this very basic premise that people outside of union and love of Christ are not spiritually alive in the way that God wants them to be. And this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Now, I remember when I first came here to Holy Cross. We studied Ephesians together. We went through Ephesians for a couple years. And I remember sitting around... uh, Gene Kaiserling's kitchen table, and reading this, and the confusion on many people's faces on whether they really agreed with this. Because many people, when they hear The diagnosis of Lou Gehrig's disease, brain cancer, pancreatic cancer. One of the first initial reactions is, "No, the diagnosis is wrong." I don't care what the evidence says; the diagnosis is wrong. Then they get a second diagnosis. No, now there's two doctors who are wrong. And the only way to really get treatment for the ailment that is killing us is to agree with the diagnosis and agree with the treatment. The scripture teaches us that people are walking, being compelled by their passions and not being compelled by glorifying the Lord. Here's a Look at me, look with me in uh, ch- uh, verse 3 of chapter 2. Among whom we all once walked. So Paul isn't saying, by the way, Jews are exempt from this. The reason I'm a Christian is because I was never this way. He says, everyone, me, I walk this way. I had passions and desires that were not in alignment with God's will, and they consumed me. And he says, And once we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That phrase, children of wrath, has been on my mind, wondering exactly what does Paul mean by that. And I used to think it was like a child uh, having a temper tantrum. But the more I studied this past week, and mainly yesterday, the word wrath is very important. Wrath has the idea of being a judge of of actions. Wrath is normally described as God having holy wrath, and he sits in judgment of sinful behavior. And so with that in mind, wrath has the idea of sitting in judgment of other people's behavior. Look at this word, this, this phrase, and we were all by nature children of wrath, children of sitting in judgment of other people's behavior. And not only that, sitting in judgment of God's behavior. And it is so easy when our lives are not going the way that we anticipated. We have unmet expectations. Our life takes a nasty twist. And then we sit in judgment of God. How can you allow this to happen? And frankly, that experience of unanticipated suffering and turmoil is what I believe leads many people to this, this sense of agnosticism and atheism. Because God is good, therefore he wants me to have good things. I'm good, I deserve good things. Here's some bad things that have happened to me. And I don't understand how a good God could allow bad things to happen to me because I'm so good. Instead of understanding that we are not promised a life of ease and a life that is lacking turmoil suffering and heartache that is part of the human experience to have turmoil suffering and heartache and many times we have no idea why god has allowed this to happen and then what we do is like what this phrase describes us in doing we sit down like an immature person and we sit in judgment of God's actions who are you to do this to me I thought we were tight I thought you were my buddy I thought we were in a good relationship and why would you allow this to happen to me don't you know what I've done for you I've served you all my life. I go to church. I do this. I do that. And you're doing this to me now? This sense of humanity sitting in judgment of God and his divine providence is really at the heart, the sinful heart of mankind. And this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. where where Satan comes in and he says, the reason God doesn't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is because he knows that is an amazing tree and he doesn't want you to have the amazing junk. Go ahead eat. It'll be amazing. Then you too can sit in judgment of God. And when we sit in judgment of God, we violate the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments. First three we make an idol of ourselves. We are God. We misuse his name. And we sit on the throne thinking we can knock him off. And that causes spiritual death. And then we become consumed with the desires of our flesh and what the world tells us is right and good and we push aside God and we no longer live according to his agenda, according to his plan, according to the statutes and commandments of his kingdom, according to the love of Jesus Christ. And the reason... The gifts of Jesus, the inheritance that he earned for us are so amazing, is because he had to go down so deep to rescue us. He had to sacrifice his life to rescue us. The death, burial, and resurrection wasn't a little spiritual nudge for those who needed a little spiritual help. It was a desperate rescue plan because the situation was out of control. And so Paul, understanding the the gulf of separation between God and man, seeing that that gulf has been brought together, just explodes in praise and doxology for what God is now giving us. And that should call us all to exuberant, joyful service of Him. But when we think that God is taking the good stuff from us, it also robs us of that joyful, exuberant motivation. And so He praises God, exuberantly exalts God for the great love which God has for us and to us in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.